to the Lightly Literary Podcast, the only book club podcast that is one piece short of a Triforce. Amanda, what the heck? Mm. We're so close. Mm -hmm. Where's the third? So close. Which piece do you Uh, have? Hmm. Which piece would I have? I don't know. I suppose I would like to think that I had the Triforce of Wisdom, the piece of wisdom. (laughs) Yeah. It's power, courage, and wisdom, right? That's the trinity. Yep. Yeah, I don't know if I'm equipped to hold any of the others. I think I'd have to go with wisdom also, <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> certainly not courage, certainly not power. <laughs> so yeah, we'll go with wisdom. Uh, you've, yeah. got, you've got a bit of a Triforce of power in your own household at least, right? Got a couple, it's true. Got a couple young ones that are looking up to you. So th- that's a form mm-hmm. of, you know, that's you got you got tremendous sway and influence. Uh, but yeah. as far as I know, you're not seeking to overthrow any local governments, so... Not local. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, maybe you are a Ganon type then. That's You've got Ganon ambitions. <laughs> uh, if you listeners have no idea what we're talking about, that is because you've stumbled upon a book club episode, specifically a part two episode for The Psychology of Zelda, which is an essay collection edited by, uh-oh, Sh- Bean? Somebody Bean? Yep. Anthony M. Bean, Anthony a M. PhD. Bean. There you go. That's the editor, and so that's what we'll be discussing today. If you've never listened to the podcast before, this might be a good starting place, but it might also not be because we'll be spoiling and discussing, kind of analyzing the entirety of that book. So if you haven't read it yet or you want to listen to part one first, just go check out the podcast feed because our book recommendation and our book club episodes are already posted there, so check those out. If you don't follow us on social media, we'd encourage you to do so. We've got Instagram and Facebook accounts at The Lightly Literary Podcast which is all one word so easy to follow easy to find check us out there we'll be you know promoting works and books at this point i'm super behind my drawing uh, motivation has just hit a nosedive amanda so (laughs) but you know we we still post on there and we do reminders and anyway so check us out there if you need some reminders and recs Uh, book club episodes like i said we'll be spoiling this entire book at this point amanda do you have any content warnings uh no yeah nope. me neither like big time no it's pretty you know it's academic pretty intellectual tame stuff there's no it's not like a work of fiction anywhere where things can become intimate or intense or personal or something so right. yeah pretty pretty modest overall like nothing really to warn about great okay any other thoughts before we do our summaries i don't think so i'm <laughs> these summaries uh, we'll see how it goes <laughs> yeah it'll be harder this time because i can't do it in a sentence so at least we got that going for us <laughs> last time that was my challenge personal challenge um yeah let's jump into our first segment for any book club episode we've um, started to do and continue to do these 60 second summary challenges this is where each of us gets 60 seconds to summarize the thing that we've read this is sort of a it's almost like a joke segment but it's also for the listeners who have maybe forgotten what they read or didn't finish the book or something or just need you know if you just require a general sense of what we're going to be talking about or what's going on. And I think this one had, what, five or six essays in the second half? It's got two, four, five. Five? Okay. I'm going to have you go first, then, since you express trepidation. That's how it goes. Put your feet to the fire. <laughs> <laughs> Seems only right. Um, yep. Anyway, in a, in a cruel kind of Ganon kind of way. Okay. Um, shall we dive in? You ready? Yeah. Okay. Three, two, one, start. Uh, so the first one, the protective power of destiny, dealt a little bit with PTSD, um, but also like how there's PTSD, but then there's also post-traumatic growth. Um, and so the idea of post-traumatic growth, especially in like Majora's Mask. Then we have the next one, which is the quest for meaning, um, which I don't remember what that one is about. I'm sure that there was some stuff about 
psychology. Um, then we Here's have this, the songs of the, the Ritas, which is about, um, actually this one was really interesting, it was about music, and specifically about how music plays such an important role in Zelda, and how that's also tied to different psychological aspects. Then the last two essays are uh, more feminist in, in nature, especially the last one, The Legend Herself. Um, and how uh, Zelda is portrayed and how the ideas of, of femininity and, and female gender roles um, have changed over the years, but for, for men, Timer. Not, not so much. Nice. That was clean. You actually ended right on the sentence, too. I like it. <laughs> Very well done. Very good. I will admit I stole a sneak peek at the um, quest for meaning, so I can at least give a sentence to that one now. Um, nice. <laughs> good. Good. Because I uh, was like, man, I don't remember that at yeah, all. Yeah. <laughs> there's one word that I think would have given it away that I'll briefly get to. Okay. I'm going to start uh, okay. in a second myself. I'll count myself down. Three, two, one, go. Yeah, we have post-traumatic growth essay. It's basically about how Link doesn't suffer just from PTSD, but is able to grow and improve based on his traumas and experiences. We have another one about existentialist philosophy. That's the giveaway word for you, Amanda. And about yeah. how there's like existential threats in Zelda and how Link has to deal with existential problems and meanings in his life. There's, yes, then there's the music essay, which I found fascinating, but at times kind of shallow too. It's basically applies three different analyses to how the music in Zelda keeps fans kind of addicted and coming back and intrigued like lizard brain ideas, aesthetic ideas. There's a couple different theories there. And then it concludes with two, Amanda nailed this, feminist kind of glancing essays at the characters and the meanings in the story. One of them is based on the Triforce, which is the kind of thing we were joking about before. It's like the symbolic god-based thing of power, item of power in the series. And the other one is just to look at the named titular character Zelda herself, who's not a playable character and is kind of passive in a lot of the games, but they apply sort of a feminist reading to her agency and what she's how she's changed. Exactly time. Pause there. Nice. Yeah, existentialism would have been the giveaway for that one, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's not in the title, so that's why. We can't blame you for forgetting. <laughs> it's not in the title. <laughs> what, can, what can we do? Hey, I knew it was about psychology. <laughs> yeah, nailed it. We count those. We count those. Um, anything we feel like we left out? I don't, I don't think so. I think, like, for the second to last essay, it was, like, about feminism, kind of, but I don't, I don't mm -hmm. even know, like, again, that one, I'm just like, meh. Yeah, yeah, it was the Triforce one had some, I thought some funny, maybe they'll come up, but I thought it had some funny overreads in it, kind of like, whoa, mm -hmm. that's, you got that symbol, or that the meaning out of that symbol? Like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I, the yeah. steam Yeah, I was going like, to actually pull that quote. Maybe let's just start <laughs> there. Yeah, actually, yeah, let's just do, do that it. now. <laughs> Uh, this is from page 204. That's really funny because, yeah, let's let's move to our quotes from clarification. This is a segment we do on every book club where we each pull two or three quotes that we felt were really meaningful or just we wanted to discuss further. Something interesting, powerful, could be something questionable, dubious, which is what I pulled. Yeah, this is from the Triforce essay. It's, it's applying some kind of – there's an anima animus analysis that's like a psych – I don't know, it's like a kind of a psych sociology term, I guess, but it's it's applying it's some of these reads. It's another Carl Jung. Oh, Carl Jung idea? Okay. He's back. Mm -hmm. Him and Campbell. <laughs> so much play in this book. Um, but yes, so they're applying this analysis to some of the traits of the game, and on 24 it says, The Triforce of Courage corresponds to the element of wind. The alchemical process of sublimato, too, is related to wind, or more properly, air. Sublima is it sublimatio? Sublimatio? 
So it's like sublimating, but I don't know what this word is. <laughs> um, sublimating elevates a low substance into a higher spiritualized form, steam, the result of fire and water coming together. This is symbolically significant as it further implies that the tension between two opposing elements, fire, Ganon, and water, Zelda, is necessary in order to produce a new product, steam link, that integrates the other two. Psychologically, we solve our internal tensions by getting above a problem to view it more objectively rather than getting caught in the subjective fires or murky waters of the unconscious. Transcending beyond the struggles of the land of Hyrule, Link is able to courageously arrive at a solution that brings calm and balance to the landscape once more. There's a lot happening in this paragraph. Yeah. What should we we start with? (laughs) Um, Yeah, I don't... I mean, I guess, like... So the Fire, Water, Zelda, Ganon thing is, like, sure, um, that those things play decently in a lot of the games, Ganon's... Uh, origins are from like a desert fiery kind of hot kingdom and it, he's associated with fire he also like likes to burn things down and like shrouds himself in fire a lot and of course like the Zelda water thing seems generous though like there's already water domains and water temples and stuff where she has nothing to do with those in the game exactly so that's yeah. already kind of a shaky read where I'm like yeah kind kind of but it's the link like ste- so steam is It'll, uh, like because he's associated with air, which isn't isn't it more like earth or something? I don't I forgot what that god was associated with. Right, yeah, I feel like it's it was more earth, and also he's like from the like Kokiri forest. Yeah, he's from very the, earthy. Yeah, the like, forest people. Granted, he wears adopted. Green. <laughs> yeah, and then like, so, but then to yeah, say steam to associate the kind of imagery or idea of the steam to um, solving internal tensions by getting above a problem to view it more objectively rather than getting caught in these subjective fires or murky waters like that's using imagery to do a very generous reading of this like steam equals above equals insightful or objective that's just kind of like i i guess that's (laughs) i'm not sure how we get from those like jumps or jump from one to the next and yeah i don't but it's funny though because i I prefer this paragraph to the first half of this book, which is the same very safe, simple analysis of the hero's journey over and over again in a way that, mm-hmm. like, cannot be disputed. It's almost, like, so obvious that it doesn't need to be said, but they said it for, like, five essays in a row. And, like, yeah, I don't agree with this paragraph totally. I think it's kind of messy in a way, and I don't fully get all the things that are connecting here. But I'm also like, yeah, this is enjoyable. Like, I liked thinking about this. I would never considered the symbolic importance of their elemental connections in quite that same way or like how he's a steam element compared to their fire water elements again i think it's shaky and maybe even just not good analysis but i don't (laughs) it's still interesting (laughs) i agree like the I, i think you've got it um absolutely correct where like the first half it was it was kind of repetitive the second half actually is is still not perfect uh but i i found that i i enjoyed the second half more than the first half of this book aside from unmasking grief the majora one um simply Mm. because like there were some in some ideas that i was like oh okay this is an interesting idea and and this one too like with the steam steam relating to link i was like i i don't see how this could work i so i was like if maybe she had some um actual um, like analysis uh, and evidence from yeah. the game. No games then referenced That might here. help. Yeah. Yep. None. And also, why? Why is that even in there? Like, what is the what is the significance of having that analysis in the first place? Like, how does this? What What are you doing with this? <laughs> like, I think it's just uh, <laughs> the idea that Link. I, it's back to that alchemy kind of analogy that she makes a couple times. It's the idea that 
Link is able to succeed where Ganon failed because he is a combination or he like right. he doesn't get so into his own what do they call it like monomania ego obsessed like he doesn't fall into his one trait you know he instead balances it's mm-hmm. all about balance and the Triforce is that kind of everything has to balance each other out sort of equals thing and so I, yeah right. I mean in that sense again I get it but yeah without a specific game reference it's just kind of it feels like you took a basic fact about chemistry and then applied it without a lot of like images or ideas for from the games like it's more just and I think this is where a lot of these essays kind of not go awry or go astray but that when they lose me in terms of interest is just like when they talk about the series instead of a game Um, the Majora's Mask one is probably the best essay though I enjoyed the feminism ones at the end too just maybe just because they're different (laughs) because it was like I don't have to read about uh, Campbell anymore or Young it's like they actually (laughs) had new ideas to apply but I also just think like it's best when they dig into a game and frankly like the stories in these games can be simplistic and shallow and so a lot of these essays felt like authors kind of in order to make their points cogent it's like they couldn't even look at a specific game they had to look at the franchise because i don't know the yeah i mean zelda one thing that none of the uh, these authors say because they're they're praising it is like the stories in these games are really simplistic and they don't really ever right. change and there's like subtle variations and differences but i think that's why so often the authors in this collection just kind of resolve back to being like, I'm going to talk about the franchise, not like a specific game. Right. Right. Yeah. Any uh, quotes for you? What do you want to start with? Sure. Um, I will, since we're on the, you know, the, the feminist train here, I'm going to go to the, the last essay. So this is on yeah. page 229. Um, <clears throat> Both male and female participants said that the average 1950s man was high in agency and low in communion. So that's like the different types of uh, ways to describe like uh, femininity and masculinity is like the word choices that we use. Yeah. Anyway, and so um, and so as a modern man, and so would be, so me- would men be in the year 2050. Participants did not see or expect men to evolve with time. No one, no one anticipated that men would be seen as cute gentle or meaningfully other driven in short while women continue to increase their traditionally quote masculine qualities and ability to be psychologically androgynous men are perceived as remaining stagnant their characteristics fixed only expected to do well in half of the available talents or traits so i I thought that was an interesting idea so this essay is is very heavily bent on like how Zelda the the character Zelda mm-hmm. um in the games Zelda um how she has kind of evolved over time including like you know wardrobe changes and how that reflects uh, a changing attitude um towards women and and female roles in society um so that's really cool um and and this paragraph I find fascinating too because I'm like you know that's a good point is that like, we see this change in Zelda and we see um, these changing perceptions of of femininity and female gender roles in society but for men like you still don't see a whole lot of change as far as like the language and expectations surrounding men specifically mm-hmm. um, and so I thought that was an interesting point and I was like oh man that's a really interesting point how does that gr- how's that going to relate to the game and she doesn't actually relate it to 
the yeah. rest of the game. She just like throws that information out there, and then it's like, okay, well, well, I, I think I, I did my due diligence there. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, th- I think too, it's just because those analyses resolve so quickly because like the game doesn't change. It's the same mechanics. It's the same flow. It's like, I mean, granted, there's obviously new ideas. Like they have to sell a new game. Like there's new iteration, new yeah, new ideas in every game. But like in some fundamental way too, there's just not a lot to say about the series because the series unless you really dig into specific game mechanic stuff, which none of this, this book is not interested in that. Obviously it's about storytelling and, and styles of stories and everything. And so it's just kind of like, there's just not, yeah, it's all kind of samey <laughs> though. I don't, yeah, yeah. I like that this essay tried to track some changes and evolutions. This is also a common, um, kind of, I guess it's like a pop psychology or like pop sort of sociology point that I feel like I see often, which is just that it's, what's becoming true of feminism maybe is that you know it's a kind of this girl boss joke this is like a meme or ongoing kind of current modern like jokey way to put it but it's like instead of men becoming more like women the joke is like women are just becoming more like men and is that really what feminism was desiring (laughs) you know it's like is it should we celebrate women who are just more like the war criminal men of the past like is it cool when one becomes a ceo and fires you know ten thousand people like i guess so i mean is that progress like i don't know (laughs) so that's yeah and I know that's like a pretty generalized way of putting it, but I feel like that's a common kind of uh, point of analysis, like point of criticism of to, you know, wonder about like how far are we really going or achieving or something. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I like this essay too. I pulled a quote from it myself. If you want to talk about that briefly, um, did you ever play sure. Skyward Sword? I did. Um, I never Sweet. finished it though. Okay, I wonder if you got to this revelation, because this surprised me, and I didn't know about this. This also came up in a previous essay. I just don't think I kind of fully assessed how important this would be or how kind of meaningful this revelation would be, because I never played this game, so I didn't know about this on 223. The idealization of Zelda as being of pure morality comes to a head in Skyward Sword, where she is revealed to be the direct reincarnation of the goddess Hylia. However, instead of wielding the powers of a divine being to protect her people, Zelda is often restricted in these abilities. She's granted all the beauty and benevolence of a god, but none of the true power. When she is given a chance to assist the hero in combat, it is always with her light arrows, which are blessed projectiles that destroy evil by their purity. And although she engages in the final and most decisive battle of the game, the nature of her weapon appeases the game's paternalism by keeping her well out of harm's way, you know, kind of just chucking aid from the sidelines and like not, yeah, that's uh, indirect involvement, I guess. So I think this is a pretty critical moment then for the franchise because it's a classic twist of sort of, you know, the objectives and the accomplishments of feminism in a way. It's kind of a weirdly powerful or relevant example of this because it's you look at it and think well that's progress right like she's literally a god or you know god adjacent Mm -hmm. but then also it just the game still is the same mechanics you're still link you're still you've got the sword you deliver the strike you have to do the battle like you have to as the player obviously your agency is invested in link he's the person who has to dodge and strategize and like and that's yeah i think it's so interesting to see how in terms of a reading the game is clearly trying to change her position and elevate her Mm -hmm. but then also it's just kind of it all comes back to the same like well yeah it's a game so in the end she just sits there (laughs) while you win and so yeah i think there is a tension there i I don't fully i think you'd have to get into more of theories about kind of game playing and stuff to fully understand it but in terms of psychology i at least found that point worth raising i was like oh that's interesting and i also didn't know that about her yeah, and the um, I, I like that um, in this essay too. Um, she writes about um, benevolent. What was it? Benevolent. Uh, what 
was the term that she used. Benevolent paternalism? Or Yeah. 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 Uh, benevolent sexism. Sexism. <laughs> and and your favorite thing, the uh the bubble chart there with that. Um, Love it. Very helpful. <laughs> <laughs> also, it's also a series of charts in this back half that there weren't nearly as many, but a series of charts that I just yeah continue to shrug at. Like <laughs> yeah, I don't know, like I don't know who this is helping. Yeah, yep. Um, but yeah, the the idea that yeah, the the games are elevating Zelda in a way, like Skyward Sword is elevating her in a way, and even in um, Wind Waker, <clears throat> where she's a pirate and she gets to wear like you know pants and stuff. Um, but still, she's kind of uh, not really as powerful. She still has to rely on others. She still has to get, you know, Link, and she still has to be protected by Link and stuff. So well, and I, it, I just found yeah. that interesting, too. Well, it does come back to all the essays in the opening of this book, though they repeated a lot of the same points, which I found frustrating. There's a core, simple, true point that we didn't need five essays to make, which is just that you're, <laughs> uh, the player's always going to identify with the person they're playing as more than right. other people. So it's like, right. until, she, until you play as her, which I think fans have actually called for. I remember before Breath of the Wild was like a fully announced, and it was in, you know, people were just rumors and stuff. It seems like every time a Zelda game is almost announced, fans, some fans, like, will always ponder, like, maybe this is the one, maybe you'll play a Zelda, or maybe it'll be, like, half and half, you know, half the game you actually play, and it, of course, never happens, because it's just such a conservative, kind of safe series. They remake the same narrative, roughly speaking, and twist the Mm -hmm. mechanics, and change the aesthetics, and change the art and the music, kind of, sort (laughs) of. But, like, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. I, I don't think there's, again, it's kind of a simple point to make you know player identifies with person they're playing as more than other people but it's true mm-hmm. so yeah hard to escape that point um any others from that essay or a different one what else should we discuss sure um i pulled a couple of quotes that i i found um that i i, I enjoyed so things that i enjoyed about it so if we look at page 151 um which is the the essay that I don't remember, the existential one. <laughs> yeah, still some interesting points in there, though. <laughs> um, what I found is actually uh, this one had like a bit of the the author's actual style, the the writer's actual style in it, and I thought that that that's what stuck out to me because this has been yeah. so academically driven that any time that there's been some sort of stylistic choice, I've been like, oh, let me think, let me just take a look at that. Um, so mm-hmm. on page one fifty one, there's morsel. a couple of things here. Yeah, little morsels. Um, the author writes... Da, 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 da. Ah. Um, one of existential psychology's best-known forms, logotherapy, was developed in the 1930s by Viktor Frankl, Austrian psychiatrist and wise old man. I was like, oh, that's cute. <laughs> I like that. And yeah. then on page 161, they also write... Um, from... Let me see. Where is this? From the ashes of tragedy and pain, a legacy of love can bloom like a silent princess flower in a harsh desert. It's like, oh, that's nice. And also, isn't the silent princess flower one of the flowers in Breath of the Wild? Uh, possibly. So, that's. Do, can yeah. you confirm? <laughs> I've, I've I'm pretty played sure that one. it is. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it's been funny. a while since I've played it, but yeah. So I was like, oh, that's nice, but also like it's a nice little descriptive ending to mm-hmm. um, that paragraph, and I was just like, oh. I really like that. So uh, yeah. even though I don't remember this essay very well, I do remember that I did like the style. <laughs> yeah, we count that. That's I'm sure they'd be happy with it <laughs> to, a, to a degree. I think, too, that the 
Yeah, th- these are essays that are just not written with the with, with nonfiction kind of essayist voice. They are academic. It's all academic voice. Very down the middle. Very straightforward. You know, which yeah, for better and worse, I would probably say for worse, just because because some of the points made circle around each other or they sort of are circular at times i think that's where i it started great on me more where it's like mm-hmm. i can if some if two people want to write the same main idea but their style is different that's that is going to grip me but if they have exactly the same idea <laughs> um it's like so for example i don't have a quote for this but it's just a general kind of question do you think anybody in this essay had anything contrarian or even like different to say about Campbell and the hero? Like it seemed like every time he came up, it was just because they all wanted to agree that his general formula outline applied really well. Like I don't. It's just like I feel like you're going to take the same point away from every time he comes up. Yeah, yeah. Same with Carl Jung. I feel like uh, yeah, when it comes yeah. to those two things, these essays are not so much argumentative essays. They're more like. Uh, definition essays where they are yeah. using concepts that we've already we already know and they're just you know fitting it into the Zelda series. Yeah, no, that's a that's a perfect way of putting it. It is far more yeah. inform informative, definitional of just sort of like I'm going to illustrate this concept rather than <laughs> try and reach. Yeah. You know, give me more of the steam. I, it doesn't have to yeah. be coherent perfectly. Or so it's like you know <laughs> you're trying to make a reading work. You might overreach like that. That's just how it goes. <laughs> yeah. um, of course, th- those points are a little bit easier to take too in the right is more uh, evocative, personal, and, like, interesting, so. Yeah. Um, should we talk about the music essay? Did you pull anything from that one? I did. Okay. Of course I did. I, I really enjoyed that essay. Yeah, I've got one from there, too, that this is, um, it's kind of in that middle mix zone, and this is about light, light motifs, because there's three, it's gestalt analysis, lizard brain, mm-hmm. and aesthetics, or no, gestalt is aesthetics, what's the other one? Oh, conditioning, uh, like conditioned responses. That's right, that's right, yep. So, anyway, this is from 182, again, about, um, about light motifs. Um, it says, one second, ah, yes, here, um says um when all the pieces are put together the music the voices of the villagers the natural sounds is the moment when the player feels that they have entered kakuri oh god kakuriko kakuriko village individual sounds that may not possess much meaning on their own have become of an important larger message to the gamer through gestalt players are given an oral context for their surroundings and can determine their location based on the cumulative uh, effect of these oral cues and then later or uh, maybe earlier actually it basically just says like um, when you hear epic, t- yeah, this is it. When you hear these epic tones in the game, it allows the player to connect to a culture the player has never visited in real life, as they feel as they are connected to the history of the legacy of the heroes of Hyrule and the world around them. So, shall we apply a pretty basic analysis to this? This is one that I use with high school writers just all the time, which is called the copy paste test. So, if I were to copy and paste this analysis and then just change all the proper nouns instead of Zelda, let's just say, like, let's say I put a movie name in there, like, a, like Inglorious Bastards, or, you know, just, like, pick a movie. <laughs> like, wouldn't all of that mm-hmm. analysis work if I just pasted out, like, a different proper noun? It's, again, it's yeah. that definitional point you're making where it's kind of like, I don't really think there's anything insightful here. It's just sort of demonstrating what a concept is with an example, which, yeah, right. maybe, maybe you really put... Um, kind of put a fine point to it earlier when you defined it that way or explained it that way because maybe that's what bugged me about some of these is just I didn't disagree with any of it and some of it was like the lizard brain stuff I thought was kind of interesting but also again it's sort of just it's like definitionally isn't that always true so what's the right. why is I guess why Zelda that's my yeah. you know let me resolve it to that very simple question like why do we have to do this with Zelda then other than that's the goal of the book 
Right. Exactly. It's it's just to to somehow make Zelda, I think, feel um, feel relevant to psychology in some way to to pull it into psychology or, rather than yeah. Maybe yeah. it feels like I'm trying to put words to this. I can visualize it, but it's sort of the difference between. Am I, do I have a theory and I'm going to try and force it into other things? Or do I observe a thing and from that thing extract a theory? And it feels like the former. Like it doesn't, it feels like these people are going to Zelda with their ideas, with the psych, and then just kind of forcing it in. And granted, it works so well because some of these psych terms are pretty broad. <laughs> like lizard brain yep. stuff, that's like pretty general. <laughs> and like it's basically true for any music, you know, sound or what, you know, whatever. And so it's just kind of like, yeah, I mean, that works, but why? Yeah, why Zelda? Like, I'd rather these essays had taken something unique about Zelda, or like, again, this is why, as I was reading it, the Majora's Mask thing stood out, because it's like, every essay should have just been a game, and then take what you can from that game, take what the game gives you, and respond to the game. Like, make your analysis come from the, instead of just sort of, what psych stuff can we generally and generically, unfortunately, apply to this? So, I think maybe, hopefully I articulated it well, but that, I think, is where I'm struggling with some of these, where I just kind of shrug while reading them. Yeah, if if they like you said if they had each writer had taken a particular game and just really focused in on that like this the the music piece like the whole time i was like why doesn't he just focus on ocarina time where not only is like the music wonderful the player has to create music yeah, like the player music. has to memorize songs and stuff so like that's that's like <laughs> perfect well, for an essay about music <laughs> yeah and this is something that'll come up in our rec which we haven't recorded yet but a little sneak peek a uh, production sneak peek for the listeners here um we do those at the end actually but anyway um this will come up for me there but this is something that I-, I couldn't help but think about this while reading this book either youtube video essays have totally lapped writing like this which is weird to say because it's a much it seems at first a much more informal type of um you know, scholarship or work or whatever, thought work, intellectual work. But like this music essay, if it was a YouTube video, would be a hundred times better because they could, well, firstly, they could play the music. So one obvious mm-hmm. advantage, but then also they could like replay sequences, explain things about the rhythm and tones and like really like, I'm pretty sure I've seen an essay like that on just like a video form of like, why is this music iconic or look at, let's look at some motifs and how they're, what are they deployed to do? And what's some differences between like, it just, I don't know. It's weird encountering something academic like this uh, a format that i'm comfortable with and really like i like reading academic essays sure but i also have to acknowledge that i think there's just a better place for this kind of thinking and that the answer yeah. might be long-form video essays yeah that's interesting yeah. yeah i thought about that a lot while examining a couple of these and like thinking about them uh what was your quote from this chapter um, so mine is from page 180, so the same thing. Uh, Breath of the Wild takes the sense of tension created by the battle theme further with the Guardian's theme. Whenever Link enters the visual vicinity of a Guardian, the music becomes forebodingly faster and adds a series of techno beats with strings and percussion adding the underlying presto tempo of the melody. The hyper tempo of the piece signals that an extremely hostile laser shooting nightmare has targeted them and elimination is near. So I enjoyed that paragraph. I was like, see, mm-hmm. this is something that I would really enjoy reading. It's where he he takes a particular um, piece, the, what, what did he call it? The Guardian's theme. Yeah, yeah. And he analyzes it, you know, fairly in depth. He could have probably done more. But also, that was like the first 
bit where I was just like, oh, okay, this is like really interesting, and I would love to read more about like the changes in tempo and and how that affects like gamer play and stuff like that. It's mm-hmm. just I found that really interesting, and also the the last bit, of that last sentence, the laser shooting nightmare, and elimination is near. I was like, yeah, that's that's the gamer stuff. That's like what gets my my blood pumping here. Yeah, yeah. It's like tension. I just I really enjoyed that. Yeah, it's a good paragraph too. Well, well written. Kind of applies some, gives you a little bit of description and imagery with the sounds, visuals, just enough to kind of immerse you in the game. Because since yeah. it's not a video format, you kind of you know have to do some imagining. And that also the techno thing I had never thought about, but those because those things are kind of like sentient robots, right? They're kind of, I mean, yeah. I know they're like made of stone, but <laughs> they're they're basically like automaton robots, right? Yep. Yeah. Pretty so much. That's a nice little observation. That's a kind of little small insight where I think, well, it's, I'm so glad you really analyzed that one game, you know, or that one example. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Do more yeah. of that, guys. <laughs> I get, yeah. And I, I don't know. I, the other thing that's tough is like, I think some of these essays on their own, right, not in this collection, I don't think they would suffer from that, that criticism we've been bringing up about how, you know, it's too broad, it's too vague, go into a game, be spit like, because obviously in an academic thing when you're trying to make these points, you have to kind of try and go broad. You, you want to be thorough, you want to be careful and make sure you really are examining everything. So I do think that that criticism really only occurs when you collect them all together and then you see how samey they become, where it's just kind of like, dang, did all of them need the same basic paragraph about the hero's journey? And it's like, did every single one of them have to bring up basically the same points about Carl Jung? And, you know, with their slight variations, I don't want to be overly mean about it. Like, they do have their subtle differences. But on the whole, like, I don't know. This just didn't, yeah, didn't feel like each one needed to be present or something right yeah okay let's move to our imaginary essays let's make our own academic essay shall we (laughs) not really (laughs) um this is always our third segment listeners so if you're new to the pod this is what we do in book club part twos each of us has presented or created an essay question for the other to outline we don't actually write or respond to the essays this is 100 percent just kind of brainstorming outlining and planning it's just the final way that we're going to do kind of a specific analysis personal analysis of the book or of the work Uh, i'm going to throw mine to you first why not I just decided. Don't know why. <laughs> Sounds good. Decision of the moment. Yeah, going, going um, just with my intuition. Um, so I maybe have oversimplified for my question, but that's okay. I When I read this book, I felt like, as I was reading it, that there are really two potential audiences. You've got people who just love Zelda, and they just want to consume everything Zelda, and then people who are just curious about psychology but have never really got a chance to study it. Uh, because I, I will say this, if you were like a psychological expert, this book has almost nothing for you. This, I'm sure it would be almost annoying to read because it really only gives you the basics <laughs> of these theories and stuff. So, And it's like Amanda noted, it's so many definitions and not really like new insights, new questions, new whatever. So I think my question is you get to make the arbitrary call. Who, which Between those two groups, who is the better audience? Like who should read this book? People who love Zelda or people who are kind of like psychology curious in their kind of new to it yeah i think uh i think it's going to be those curious about psychology i think specifically maybe like beginners of psychology those who have maybe entered the psychology 101 class and are looking for like a a general rundown of of major ideas and concepts got it um especially if they're taking psychoanalysis and and they really love young yeah um (laughs) <laughs> They're big young so, fans. Um, maybe, but maybe find him hard to read. They're like, I don't fully get this. Can someone just explain it with Zelda? There you go. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, which, incidentally, like, psychology was my minor in college, and uh, nice. Carl Jung was, like, one of my favorite psychologists that I that I enjoyed, like, reading his ideas. So, mm. even even for me, reading all of that, I was just kind of like, all right, I, I get it. Let's, let's move on. <laughs> Wild. I like it, though. It's good proof. It's good. I'm glad we have, like, a test case to prove this out on, like, right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... The reason that I think that it's mostly about, uh, uh, or it's better for those who are curious about psychology or who are um, just entering um, psychology studies, um, there's more analysis of the psychological ideas than analysis of the specific games. And, and I'll say that, like, just for the most part, like, we get a lot more information about psychological concepts and theories. Um, and then when it comes to the actual games themselves, the the games serve as examples, but we don't go in-depth with those examples so it's more like they serve to further um just to further define psychological concepts um also you don't really need to know much about the games or have really played the games in order to understand the references to the games um and to the the analyses that are offered in these uh writings the games are explained very superficially and the analysis of the games are just like super broad anyway so as long as you know how to like you know if if you understand how to you know how this general story is which is you know Link goes and and saves the world then Mm -hmm. you don't really need to know each particular game you don't have to know oh well in this instance like ganon actually transforms into this and there's a difference between ganon and ganondorf you don't have to know any of that stuff so you don't need to be a real geek about zelda in order to understand the references to zelda here It, it could be like you could take it out and insert any game and it would be the same i have to assume um, when the editor kind of put out the call for this or started collecting these and mm-hmm. i'm sure some of these were written for this book too i'm not sure how many of these were just kind of culled from other publications i didn't actually think hard about that or even really check but i have to imagine that some of these were written expressly for this book i, I have to think that but whatever right. um I just have to think that one inclusion in that requirements was like, you have to write this for a person who doesn't know what this game is. <laughs> uh, because I think you can feel that in some of the paragraphs and how samey they feel. Right. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, which is maybe why they don't go super in-depth with some of the references. Anyway, um, the only ones that really go, like, super in-depth, I would suppose, is um, Unmasking Grief and, and even just a touch in The Song of the Ritos, the, the music one. Um but even then, it's not overly much. And like with Unmasking Grief, which is, is focusing on uh, Majora's Mask, even in that case, um, you don't have you would not have had to have played the game because when they are describing the game and explaining how the game fits in with um, the cycles of grief, it's uh, it's summarized really well. So again, mm, even yeah. even at that point, you don't have to have actually played that game. Um, and finally, although the essays do explain broadly the psychological concepts, that's not necessarily for the gamers who are reading. That's just a part of like the academic writing itself. So there's, there's like the, 
the, they introduce these psychological concept, um, anima and animus. They define what it is, and they give an example from the game. However, if you're a gamer and you're like really into the game, you don't actually need to know anima and animus. You don't need to know Carl Jung's theories about uh, projection and stuff like that. It's um, they don't actually need to use psychological terms if they were very serious about or if they wanted to focus on like the gaming experience then they would have talked more and used more I think um, layman's terms and and less psychological terminology in order to get those points across do you, do you think for sense. the if for the this answer the arbitrary question of course because you of course can read it for both reasons that my question is yeah. purposefully arbitrary <laughs> um, yeah but do you think then for the gamer side to be more appeased or for the answer, what would it take for the answer to switch over? Because I think my answer would be, or my thought would be, you'd have to do more either, yeah, dig into specific games like we've requested throughout both book clubs or like it would have to be mechanics talk, right? Wouldn't it have to get into like right. gaming theories yep. about gaming and like what gaming, how yep. mechanics work and how ev- evolutions of 2D versus 3D, like just basic stuff. Like, like I think that would, ma- is that the path then? Maybe. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I think actual like gaming theory, right? The, these are yeah. just yeah. psychoanalytical theory, but the yeah, the gaming theory. There's no gaming theory, <laughs> right? <laughs> Not really. Anyway, nor so, nor yeah. does there have to be. But I, I think yeah. yeah, maybe that's what would shift it. Because yeah, I I mean you're yeah. you're deep in the franchise or pretty deep in it. Did you what do you, what's your overall review now that you finished it? Like, did you take away a lot of new things from this? I mean, I had like I I enjoy the games and I love playing the games and I I had never really thought too deeply on like why I enjoyed the games. So I, I did take away some ideas as to like oh well maybe I enjoyed Majora's Mask because yeah the, like the the darkest themes and stuff like that and and I had not even thought about like the fact that <laughs> this is how bad it is that that Majora's Mask was like directly related to Ocarina of Time like I hadn't even made that connection in my mind so like there's right, yeah right. I, I think I took away some some information uh, from reading these for sure yeah no definitely there's some which game do you think they under analyze what's the essay i know we've requested this so much we may as well put our money where our mouth is put our ideas where our ideas are or whatever put our proposal where our ideas are but which which game should have gotten its own essay then is there one that because i i just knew majora's mask was going to get one it, it's an oddity yeah. in the series so i think yeah. like i just knew somebody was going to have to dig into that one but which mm-hmm. which one's missing then for the gamers to be appeased here I think Ocarina of Time was really underutilized. Like, Ocarina of Time was such a huge... I mean, like, making music and all that stuff. Like, uh, why didn't the music one focus only on Ocarina of Time? It's like, I don't know. And then also Breath of the Wild. Like, that was, like, huge, right? It's it's this There's open world a, yeah. concept. And, and it's, you know, it's... There's a second one coming out. <laughs> like, it's it's... It was really popular. Um, so I... I was surprised that there wasn't more analysis there mm. as well, um, especially from like a gaming aspect where you can, instead of like exploring the world, you can go straight to Ganon and fight Ganon. Um, right, right. Mechanic stuff. Yeah. That right, again, I exactly. think a slightly differently focused book would, would jump on. I, 
I remember in Breath of the Wild in the in this series of books, one of the essays does make a, a reference to how Link is waking up. He's like an amnesiac. A hundred years he's been asleep. Yeah. Kind of, so, and I think they made uh, was it the shadow point of like he has no. I forgot what the analytical point they were making with it was, but at least one of the essays at least made note of that's like oh that's a pretty different way to do the narrative. He's not like an orphan child. He's like a a hundred year old person who already did this and he just like was asleep and his you know he kind of I guess the point they were making is that he's a little bit more aloof or lost that it's like a little sadder I guess it's a little more downbeat compared to some of the other games where it's sort of yeah and like the world is a little more dystopian I guess yeah um yep yeah, interesting. And I, I will say that I guess my only brief thought is I think Ocarina of Time, though, clearly did get the highest reference count. I, I'm not sure if that fits mm-hmm. your kind of big... I understand what you mean, that it like it maybe deserved further exploration. Um, but I do think... Wouldn't you say it was the most referenced game? Other Well, Probably Majora's Mask gets its own, so that's kind of its own thing. <laughs> but yeah, like across yeah. all of them, I have to feel like it's the most referenced. I don't know, though. Yeah, I think that it... It was probably the most referenced that and uh, A Link to the Past. I think those two were like the biggest ones to be referenced, but also the analysis associated with those, like, those are like really popular games. And it's not, yeah. not really analyzed like deeply. So I appreciate just references. I appreciated <laughs> then the link dark link essay, the kind of mirror shadow of the self. They did try mm-hmm. and overreach maybe a bit and analyze how important that is in Ocarina. Cause in Ocarina you have to fight, you know, like a shadow version. I think it's a shadow version of yourself or Ganon. I can't remember, but I, I feel like they, or no, it was, um, Twilight Princess? Is that where you fight Shadow Liu? (laughs) Yeah. But at least one of the authors attempted to kind of resolve that with a reading and say like, oh, isn't that, you know, you have to overcome yourself. It's like a critical step is, you know, resolving your own internal, whatever, psychological issues. Um, Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Any final points on that question? Uh, Nope. Big wreck for the psych fans. Well, want to be (laughs) curious. The psych curious. (laughs) Um, Okay. Throw your essay my way and we'll dig into that one. Yeah, um, in the introduction, the editor, Bean, I I assume he's the one who wrote it, uh, lays Mm -hmm. out what the purpose of this collection is, which is to understand why we, as video gamers, love this series so, and to discover more about yourself and the virtual world in which we spend so many hours playing. And that's from page three. Those are some direct quotes. Mm -hmm. How do these essays address those ideas, and do you think this collection was successful in its stated mission? Yeah, so I think the short answer has to be yes. It's funny. This is such an odd book. I feel like this has been a weird one in our own journey, book club journey, because for as I feel like our, my two kind of book club episodes now taken together will seem really negative, but I, I did like the book. It was just, and I think it's really effective, but it's almost, um, it's almost too effective or repetitively effective or something. So I think the points it makes are well taken and, you know, for the most part, pretty cogent, interesting, whatever. But I also, again, just think it, maybe it wasn't for me because I already knew about the hero's journey and have thought about it and have read essays about it and have seen YouTube analyses about it. So it's just kind of like, I don't think I needed that applied to Zelda. It's pretty clear how it matches. And some of the mm-hmm. young ideas too are young. I always forget that. Is it young? It's young, right? Young. <laughs> there yeah. we go. I'm going to keep yeah. mispronouncing that. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think that on the whole, it's sort of, I, I don't know. I just don't think you could say this book failed at that mission. It's it Maybe it's a bit obvious. Maybe it's a bit simplistic for some readers. But it would be way too harsh to say, like, it did not do that. I think it very clearly applies these concepts to Zelda and in, in really clear ways. So my overall answer, mm-hmm. short answer is yes. I've got some examples we can talk through. But would you say yes or? Yeah, I think so. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, let's talk about a couple examples. So let's get some young quotes going. Um, this is about sort of the uh, Jungian theory of, of knowing ourselves. It says, strange as it might sound, something similar occurs when a video game player has the experience of becoming Link. The player takes their own questing inner hero and projects it outward onto the or into the interactive story of the game. The silent protagonist holds the projection, and as the player travels and explores the virtual kingdom of Hyrule, battling enemies and growing stronger, they experience their own heroic nature coming to fruition. This experience is one of the principal joys of the game, and the sense of connection through projection is part of what makes Zelda um, series innately meaningful. So, like, yeah, that is, of course, true. Does it fail the copy-paste analysis I, I put up earlier? Like, I think so, because this is true of just most games. <laughs> Again, mm-hmm. though, you can't say it's... In terms of Young's own theories and kind of these self-actualization or self-realization theories, like, it would be so difficult to argue against this. It's basically impossible. Yeah. Like, it's obviously just true. <laughs> um, so, yeah, is it, is it effective? Like, sure. Um, the other one that's obvious, of course, we have to bring it up is Campbell's monomyth. Um, this says, <laughs> the hero's journey, this is from 26, the hero's journey is an archetypal framework conceived by Joseph Campbell in the 40s, and assistant recognizes one of the cornerstones of the study of mythology, describes a common template among stories in which an often unassuming child journeys through a series of challenging and life-altering events and discovers themselves to be a great hero, and then <clears throat> talks about his influence from young etc um we've discovered this heroic figure exists in almost every culture and their stories follow a similar narrative yada yada again true definitely can't argue it zelda fits right into this there's there's the remember the chart the exhaustive one has all the games (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) so it's kind of i'm glad that academic work was done i again applaud the kind of you have to do kind of the obvious work in the academic space you got to lay everything out you got to be super clear but as a reader player of these games person who's thought about this at least briefly i again i look at that and just kind of shrug I'm like yeah look at that it it works <laughs> there's all the points lining up you know there's all the games they all fit in kind of sort of um so yeah i think those are the two ones i wanted to bring up as sort of really clear examples that you know, kind of just work. Um, in terms of specifics, so I pulled two that I think would actually maybe not surprise players, but more deeply engage them and to answer the prompt. The Majora's Mass chapter just does this all over the place because it is a much closer and careful read. It also applies new theories about grief, and so there's actually something new to think about. But remember the example from the Majora's Mass chapter about the the man who's grieving and you like you get to steal his mask, he's a ghost, and then you can use it to kind of appease. Like that point that was made, I won't read that paragraph again from book club one but that one just came to mind right away Camaro is the name of a Camaro's mask yeah like mm-hmm. it's just a really intriguing read in a game that's clearly about loss and grief there's a character inside of it who you get this miniature arc about loss and grief it's a pretty interesting you know complex theme within a theme kind of idea nesting inside a bigger idea that I think yeah I think most game players if the if the goal again what's the phrasing is to show why we love the series and get us to like think about why it's so compelling i think that's a pretty yeah. interesting example that's at least a little mm-hmm. unique so yeah i like that and then the final point before i do my i have two more at the end i want to hit but like the lizard brain idea from the music chapter had you heard mm-hmm. of that concept before lizard brain my husband uses that term all the time yeah <laughs> in what regard about music or just other behaviors about behaviors yeah yeah 
unconscious behaviors. Well, like they said, it's the two, I forgot the parts that they're referencing, two parts of the brain, the cerebellum and something else. I forget which parts. <laughs> um, haven't taught AP Psych so in a while, so that's it's all out of the brain now. But I... I thought this part was funny. The lizard brain part uses an example from the Breath of the Wild games about a lizard foe called yeah. Lizolphus <laughs> or Lizolphos. Uh, lizard foes, basically a combination of those two words. And it talks about how because they have camouflage and because the noise kicks in before anything else, it's meaning to, it kind of triggers your fight or flight response, gets you tense, gets you nervous, you know, implies that there's enemies you can't see, that kind of a thing. I, again, thought, like, what a clever example, a good use of this concept of applied to a very specific thing of course like the lizard name connection i thought was just hilarious because i think it's again the author not overreaching for a read but it's kind of like couldn't we just apply the same idea to all the other enemies it would probably be true Mm -hmm. but i think they chose in that sense like a funny kind of pun based clever example of it For sure. Yeah, I enjoyed that too. I remember that part. Yeah, and so it's like, I think that kind of a paragraph would jump out to game fans who like Zelda and just wanted to, you know, engage with the series a little more deeply or think a little more closely about some of the connections. So yeah, on the whole, those are my examples of successes. Any any other successes to throw out there about how this book accomplished the mission? I don't think so. I think, yeah, like... uh uh, the points about Young and Campbell, you make you make a good point. Like it, yeah, it's it's fine. It does that. But uh, Majora's Mask, the music one, and then the the last one, the um, the feminist one, yeah, the Zelda last Evolution. Yeah, those three I felt like were they they most interestingly accomplished what what they had meant to accomplish, mm-hmm. but also made it interesting for gamers themselves those who are actually invested in the 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 franchise right yeah and i think that a lot of the other points will be so clear so clear and so sort of accepted you know it's like no one Mm -hmm. who plays zelda or likes it at any point would probably think to themselves you know i don't think link does heroic stuff it's like no every mechanic every second of the game is designed (laughs) around you doing heroic stuff (laughs) defeating something accomplishing a task gaining new equipment and doing cool stuff with it like it's all yeah it's all the same kind of goals simple um two quick critiques then or you know i want to end and fully answer the prompt like of course it accomplishes the mission but a couple quick critiques um i think its analysis of games sometimes and how the player needs to be involved in the game is just too simple and i don't think i think in order to better understand what being a player of a game and how that affects your brain like i think that's just a different book i guess or it would have to be a game i'm sorry a book about game theory and like the idea of play because there's too many paragraphs like this one from 66 this is about being shadow link and fighting shadow link and it says but only a coward would hide in a corner and stab blindly at dark link's ankles the personal shadow is a foe that must be directly challenged not fought by nipping at its heels the path to victory lies in self-understanding and in using this knowledge of one's shadowy unconscious to counter the dark double to master's one shadow is to master oneself oh and before that it says uh, link shadow literally turns the player's strengths against them by using a sword blah 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 So I think this is an overread because what they're saying is because you have to play the game, therefore this game has this psychological interpretation. And it's like, 
Well, no, the player had, because like in order for the game to exist, you have to play, which means Mm -hmm. if a player puts the controller down at that point, I don't think that says anything about their unwillingness to engage in a shadow consciousness and explore the interiority of Link's like other self. I think it just means this fight is too hard or I'm bored or like, I don't, I just find the way it's taking psychological liberties with the act of playing the game and then blending that into reads of the narrative, I find pretty shaky where it's just kind of like... I don't, it's just kind of definitional. Like, of course, this fight has to occur because if you stood there in the corner mashing square and not learning the patterns, learning the attacks, <laughs> learning the game, you would never progress. Like, you would just lose right. every time. And then that's its own idea. So I, I think there's a lot of paragraphs like that throughout this where I just sort of, I don't know if these essays had the most insightful things about the player's role. I'm not sure if you feel that way. I, I do, yeah. I think that's a, a great point. Um, there were, um, I forget which essay it was, but they start to kind of mention um, the gameplay, uh, but then they don't really uh, delve too deeply into it. But, man, which essay was that? Man, they all kind of bleed together after a while. A bit, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Except Majora's Mask and the feminism ones, or yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> I don't remember either from that description, but I understand. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, one other misstep then, just to real quick address the question and get to another sort of critique. I think also there are some assumed facts and details about the game players, the gamers who like this series that I just, I feel like the people who wrote these must be fans and must know things. But again, too many little sentences happened. I figured I'd bring up one where I just felt my reaction was, are we sure that uh, that's how people feel about the franchise? Like... I think also I'll say this, attributing the franchise's success to just psychology instead of, for example, nostalgia, economics, and mechanics is just seems like such a shallow and like just incomplete understanding of why the series is so popular. And so it's just, I get that like hero's journey archetypes, I don't disagree with any of the broad points as to why the series is successful, but I also think there's like really glaringly obvious other points. Um, Anyway, this is from 165. It says, like Link, the player initially begins their journey through the game alone. They face a similar shock to Link's own every time they start a new Zelda adventure and find themselves in Link in a new and treacherous world. The player is startled by Zelda's hauntingly familiar voice or personally disturbed by the haunting visions of demise and driven to rescue sweet Ariel. Through the very act of playing the game, this shock and awe is answered. The adventure begins. Do you think that people who love the Zelda franchise and play every game feel, what did they say here? They shock. face a similar shock to Link. They find themselves in a new and treacherous world. They are startled by these elements. Like, do you think any nope. of those things are true? <laughs> so, so false. Yeah. No. Like, I don't, yeah. <laughs> I, I just, I think it's a bit of a misread of, like, why people find comfort in Zelda, what people get excited. Like, and I think that, I don't, it, it's interesting because I get that a lot of these things are just objectively true. The, the way the music plays and builds tension and lizard brain and hero's journey. And like, it's just so many things you can't really disagree with, but I just think this is an incomplete picture of why a gamer loves Zelda. Like it just doesn't, yeah. I don't know that, that reading pinning it all, I guess here's my final point and I'm rambling pinning it all on some psychological thing only. It just seems false to me. Like, I just don't yeah. think that is that could be considered true. I think so yeah. many of these underpinnings are true, and I think a lot of these essays are solid in that respect. But to have something like that is definitely an overreach to me when it's like, I just don't think Zelda, people who love the franchise, react in the way that that paragraph describes. Right. Yeah. I would have to agree. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think that I've ever been shocked 
<laughs> or startled by the beginnings of Zelda. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's sort of, and it it's sort of defeated by what so many of these essays get right, definitionally, which is that they're they all kind of do the same thing and they all do something really really similar. That's the antithesis of shock and startle. It's like right. gamers right. come to it because they they're curious. How is this mechanic going to be a little different? Or hey, the dungeons. Right. Like, what are the puzzles going to be like this time? You know, I know there's going to be right. dungeons. Like, what are they? And but again, these are all mechanical, structural kind of things. Um, also, again, since this is not an analysis of gaming or gameplay or game feel, like that's a big part of these too. It's sort of like, what's the sword feel like? Uh, Ocarina of Time is a landmark game because it was like one of the first three-dimensional games ever made that didn't suck. <laughs> and so it's just sort of like, that's a big part of it too. But of course, this book, fair enough to the book, like it's not the point of this book to analyze that. But I think those paragraphs where they sort of overreached again on some of the gamer assumptions was, um, I figured I'd bring that one of them up. So, all right. Long answer for me, Amanda, what did I miss? Any thoughts on if the book accomplished the mission? No, I think you worded it perfectly. All right. And hopefully not too long-windedly. Should we do our uh, outside criticism here? (laughs) Critical assistance? Let's do it. Okay. Let's jump to that. Our second to last segment for Book Club Part 2 is going to be critical assistance. This is where we reach outside of ourselves and own thoughts and pick up some reviews of the book and analyze them. So we each pulled a different review or commentary. It could be, you know, a video, another podcast. We usually do articles online or things to read. Amanda, do you want to go first? What did you bring for critical assistance? Sure. I actually pulled from a uh, a gaming review website. Nice. Um, That's good. Yeah, so I was like, oh, all right, let's try this out. Did you? It's um, funny. So it's, I saw one. I think there was one that was like a Zelda blog, but I didn't pick it because I thought maybe you would. But there was there was a couple like Zelda based blogs that reviewed it. So. Yeah, I I didn't pick it because I think that the writers, um, the the editors of of this actually run one of those websites. Got it. Um, I think. So I was like, I, I better not. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Don't cross those uh, don't cross those promotional and self interested streams or whatever. Yeah, I gotcha. Yeah. Let's yeah, take um, it away. So mine is from uh, a website called Two Beard Gaming. Um, and it's I guess their first book review. Um, and I didn't see an author listed, but the review is called The Psychology of Zelda Linking Our World to the Legend of Zelda series book review. <clears throat> I warmed immediately to the ebook I was sent by NetGalley when I read the following message to the readers. To everyone who believes that playing a video game has no psychological benefits, read on. To find industry experts speaking the language of so many gamers across the world was a breath of fresh air, and I wanted to read all I could about its benefits to silence the naysayers. Fortunately, the psychology of Zelda is far from lacking in this regard. Each essay in the anthology provides information on particular topics in an easy-to-read and informative way, explicit links to a range of titles in the Legend of Zelda series, and examples of how this can or has been applied to those of us in the, quote, real world. Um, so I think that like his approach to why he read this which was to silence the naysayers about like, oh, games are stupid, games are dumb, you're just wasting your time. I, I think that's probably going to be true of a lot of the people who do pick this book up initially. Mm, yeah. Um, but I would say that this book was not actually written for them <laughs> or not necessarily with them in mind in yeah. particular. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and so it's a, he says that each... Um, essay provides information on particular topics in an easy to read and informative way. I will say that it is pretty easy to read. Um, yeah, yeah. 
the informative way. Yeah, it's, it's definitely informative. Um, I mean, it, it includes charts and graphs and <laughs> all kinds of visuals. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, are those easy to read? Yes. Are they helpful? Jury's out. <laughs> yeah. TBD. Unsure. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I I pulled that because, like, since he's coming at it from that particular angle, I, that's something I think that a lot of people in his same position are coming towards this book in that same way, and, and they're going to be surprised by what they actually read. Yeah, I think... Do you th- also think... Now, granted, I, I think in our throughout the rest of our lives, we'll be dealing through these different kind of perceptions of games, gaming trends, but do you think that people need a baseline read recommendation based on, like, hey, gaming is not trash, and here's why? Do you think that's still culturally a thing that is, like recommendable or required I think I think that there are some especially when it comes to games that are not marketed specifically for their educational purposes mm-hmm. I, I think that there is so like um, yeah I feel like some parents even now like I, I have a four year old and I let my four year old play uh, this game called Zumbinis um mm-hmm. <laughs> which is a a logic and reasoning based mathematical based game. Um but if I were to allow her to play Zelda, which I would love for her to play Zelda, I would love to play Zelda with her. Yeah. Um I, I feel like a lot of parents would at this age they would just be like, there's no value in that. There's nothing to do with that." So I think that there's still some stigma mm-hmm. associated yeah. with that, um especially if you yourself are not a gamer. Yeah, totally. And I think, too, the non... I think the biggest thing that... And I don't think these essays fully, like, land in this way to resolve this problem or this critique, but it's just that the skills seem non-transferable to people, I think. So it's like, if I get really good at a game, I'm going to be better at other games, but then the question remains, like, why... But why is that going to affect your life outside of gaming? And I do think there are answers to that kind of critique or criticism. I don't think this book... This book more justifies how games affect us or how they are effective not so much how will we take what we did in the game and transfer it out which i think is like the most common critique would be like well yeah of course like you play first person shooter games you can be great and get better at them but like who cares it's not going to help the rest of your life that's you know the common critique um so of course but like any art form you know pick pick, take your pick movies music games um books uh, art painting whatever it's like you could anyway it's it's a, it's a new art form i feel like it has to weather the you know those critiques for a while all right other quotes yeah. yeah what else um yeah i may have read the book a little quicker than intended which whilst representing a positive to the authors it meant that my one gripe with the anthology was more prevalent than perhaps it should have been Although the book discusses many theories and models, the Kubler-Ross Five Stages of Grief being just one example, I found it referenced Carl Jung and his work a little too often. I would have been keen to read (laughs) about other psychologists and their work. However, it is evident that the work of Carl Jung is applicable to almost every Zelda title on the market. I, I had to choose that. I, yeah. I had to pull that because I was like, hilarious. Wow. Kindred spirit here. <laughs> Kindred spirit in the review. <laughs> um, but also he says that, yeah, he, he read the book a little quicker than intended. I also found myself kind of just zipping through and I was like, okay, I need to just like maybe read one or two a day so that I can like ruminate on it and, and think about it. Um, but I these are meant to be easy reads. Um, so you can zip right through. 
Um, yeah. And then finally... Yeah, they're readable. I, I agree. I, I think my review of these would have to be that they're readable. Yeah. Uh, same. Yeah. Um, and finally, for those seeking a deep, detailed, and extensive look at psychological theory and the Zelda series, this may not be for you. Equally, for those after a casual, lighthearted read, this may not be for you either. However, for anyone who has a keen interest in the Zelda series and a basic understanding of psychological concepts and wishes to see how these two can and have been intertwined, then this will be a delight for you. Hmm. Middle ground. <clears throat> so, Yeah. So, I don't know, though, like, anyone who has a keen interest in the Zelda series, I think that's what's going to draw them to this book, but I don't necessarily think that they're going to love this book, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think I think they would just be more intrigued by, I mean, a couple different types of books, a analysis of the how the mechanics and design have changed even like an art book i think like evolution of character designs and artistic choices and look at the water temple across all the games and here's some of the aesthetics and here's what the Mm -hmm. design choices say and i i just feel like a gamer specifically would be interested in some other angles i i think this would you know, if you plucked maybe three or four of these out, it would make for a tremendous accompaniment to like a big art book where there's a little sidebar about like, hey, did you know that this is basically just Joseph Campbell? Or hey, did you <laughs> did you know that Carl Jung kind of like played into these art define these archetypes that Zelda like here's how Zelda's kind of an archetype and Ganon's one and how the Triforce fits archetypal interpretation and like I don't yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't want to reduce this good, pretty good academic work to just sidebars, but I do think that reading them all consecutively like we did does not yeah, just too much overlap, I think, to be... Yeah. Yeah, it's strange. Ended up in a weird place with this book, for sure. I agree with you. Yeah. Any other thoughts on that review? Uh, no, it was it was a really short review, but I, I found it interesting from like a gaming perspective. Yeah. So Excellent. Okay, let's jump to another review. This is from Seattle Book Review. Haven't used them before, not that I remembered. And it is a review by Glenn Dallas. So thanks to Glenn Dallas from the Seattle Book Review. Let's jump into some quotes. Anyone who has played a game from the Legend of Zelda series can attest to the epic storytelling involved, avoiding the simplicity of good versus evil and other conventionalities. Its levels of insight and engagement have made it one of the most beloved franchises in video game history. Do you think that's why it's beloved? It avoids the simplicity of good versus evil? Are are we sure about that? I will also say that in terms of at least gaming mechanics and progressions in games, it it actually defines, it it literally created a convention of go to dungeon, get new item, use item in dungeon, then you have item. Like, it it literally created or helped solidify and, and purposefully in tome or set in stone a convention that so many games have copied since. Mm hmm. Yep. Like, I don't, I just don't know if I can agree with this description of, I mean, the epic part, sure, yeah, it's big, but the reason it's epic is because you fight a literal force of uncontained evil that is corrupted and, like, evil beyond repair, Ganon. Yes. So it's like, I don't, I just don't get this description. Uh, yeah, and and guess what? It's still a good versus evil story. So Ganon yeah. is the evil. You're the good. Yeah, there's no <laughs> moment. There's no. I, I think maybe what, the most generous reading of this would be maybe they're thinking of Skyward Sword, where it's revealed that like this is a cycle. You're trapped. You're kind of like you're a hero, sure, but like there are forces beyond your control determining every like. Because I think there is an interesting reading there, but I I just don't think narratively that the games, other games since, have really messed with that idea. 
idea. You'd have to tell me about Breath right. of the Wild. Does Breath of the Wild do anything interesting like that? Did like did Zelda create the robots that destroyed the world? Like, is there some twist like that to it? Interesting like that? No, she's just uh, fighting the force of greed that's yeah. like uncontrolled. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Yeah, I just don't think this reading. I don't know that description of the series. I thought was odd. Pretty suspect. Um, yeah. Especially like yeah. I, again, I think Skyward Sword and some other games have toyed with the, its themes, but on the whole, like as the Campbell, stu- you know, that Campbell chart lays out in this book, it's pretty clearly good versus evil. Like hero rises to meet the force of unstoppable evil, etc. Anyway. Um, next quote from interpreting the gameplay of Majora's Mask as a journey through the five stages of grief is explained by the Kuba Ross method or um, paradigm to pondering how the series has embraced and redefined the role of women in video games. Um, these are fascinating mental exercises built on a universe we all know well. So this always drives me nuts, and this drove me crazy in another book review we got. Do you notice how they mm-hmm. just cherry-picked the two interesting essays out of the 12 or 13? <laughs> <laughs> like, that is not a good summary of this book, because it ignores that at least five of these essays say the same things as the other. Like, yeah. they repeat each other a lot. And so it's like, yeah. you're right, the Majora's Mask one is really fascinating and unique, and I think that feminism Zelda read at the end is, like, pretty intriguing and definitely introduced some new concepts, but, like... I just don't think that could be how you present a summary of this collection. Uh, agreed. Yeah. <laughs> no, I wouldn't yeah. say it's disingenuous or anything, but I do think that's, I don't know, like cherry picking or something. Mm-hmm. Yep. What was the other book yep. that that happened in where we found a review that just ignored huge swaths of the book? Gosh, what was that? That's bugging me now. Oh, I've got it. I remember it. I remember it perfectly. Well, I'll cut all that, listeners. You're, you're back in the action with us now. <laughs> uh, it was Midnight Library. It was one of the oh, reviews yeah. literally uh. cited for how <laughs> interesting and multiversal and like complex the story is. It literally cited one chapter's paragraph where the paragraph <laughs> is a montage of descriptions of lives instead of like it's literally just a paragraph montage. And the reviewer was like, oh, the stories are so fascinating and deep. And then they literally yeah. just quoted the paragraph <laughs> montage. And it's like, man, that's not what this book was like at all. That has nothing to do with this book. That's just a paragraph montage. Like, Uh, that's what it was that was what was driving me nuts I could not believe that I was like that is just a mischaracterization of this book like that has nothing to do with this book oh god it's just funny anyway that's what it was Do you remember that? I do recall you. Okay. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I was like, because I, I knew that drew me drew me a little bit um, little bit wild at the time. So that's a me thing, I guess. Final quote from this one. Uh, Unlike most books out there which marry psychological concepts to pop culture properties, this doesn't feel like writers simply showing off for their own sake. Each essay is the work of a fan who has mined deeper wisdom and joy from the games by exploring them through the lens of psychology, and it makes the book as a whole a much more fun and satisfying reading experience. Here's what I'll say, Amanda. I wish... For fuck's sake, that the writers would have shown off. I show off, please. That's w- literally why I'm reading. <laughs> if I wanted to read an encyclopedia, I would just go read one. Like, can we please show off? <laughs> like, damn, man. Like, I, I get it. This is basically like an encyclopedia with a cool veneer, you know, with a cool little shine on it. It's you're just getting yeah. psychology. You, I think you nailed it earlier. You're basically just getting psychology definitions with cool examples that, you know, people will probably relate to a little more clearly. But I don't think I don't I could use so much more voice in this book. I, I think it would have gripped yeah. me way more. Yeah, it says, 
each essay is the work of a fan who has mined deeper wisdom and joy from the games. I'm like, well, maybe, but I don't get that sense when I'm reading. This, I mean, very few these of these essays. even very few of these even mind the games. They mind the franchise. <laughs> it's much broader. Exactly. It's like much more generalized points and stuff. I just. Yeah, I think the fun, satisfying part, like, yeah, again, it's it's an easy enough read. I think fans of the series would probably, you know, find some intrigue in here and, and like a couple of these a lot. But I just, it, this doesn't, I, I, it's funny, though, because that sentence, this doesn't feel like writers simply showing off for their own sake. I do think that <laughs> kind of essay nonfiction these days it does sometimes too quickly dissolve or resolve into XYZ happened to me, here's how the game is like that, you know? Kind of like if a game has a character who dies in it, a common, very common kind of essay that'll get written and published these days is like, hey, my father died last year, the father in this game died, here's how those things are, you know, here's how it reminded me of my grief or help, you know, that kind of a thing. And I think that that's what this writer's reacting to is kind of like, they don't want to read essays like that anymore. Like, basically, I don't want the essay to foreground, like, what's happen to you and then connect it to the game and I kind of like get I get that like yeah I'm kind of tired of those essays too I don't think that should be the only way we write about stuff but like I also just don't think saying they shouldn't show off like no I mean come on show off a little like you don't have to invoke yourself or involve yourself to be a good interesting writer with style you know like I think Joan Didion you know in those essays where she has incredible voice and is really intense and opinionated like I don't actually know much about her <laughs> like I know a little about her you know I know that she doesn't like Hawaii and, and enjoys being depressed maybe <laughs> but like I don't I don't read and finish her essays thinking like oh man that was just about her and not the not the object like it's both right and a good essay will do both. And um, exactly. so I, I think I kind of get the trend. I respect what she maybe is critiquing that too often these days. It's like, I just want to write about me. By the way, this game is kind of like me. I, I get that. I, I don't like love that tendency either. But also, like, I don't think this is the answer, though, all the time either. Like, this is just Encyclopedia Plus, you know? Mm hmm. Yep. So whatever. <laughs> That's my my reaction. But I will I'll put the call out into the world again. Like. Please write in an intense, interesting, and you know, unique voice. Always, like I get, in academia, I get that you can't. That stuff gets curbed. I, I get it all, but also we got to have some books with voice in it, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. blood bones and Please. butter, right? Like that person was miserable, but I loved reading about her misery, you know, yeah, her, her unhappiness. Like I, I would take a book like that over, you know, a bland middle ground every time. So, any um, yeah, thoughts on that final quote? Uh, nope. That's it. Nothing? Okay. You sure? Final, yeah. final uh, insertions. Okay. Let's close this out. <laughs> Lightly Literary Hall of Fame. This will be our final and fifth segment for today's book club. We always end with this. We are going to induct one element of the book, whether we liked it, you know, loved it, didn't like it, hated it, whatever. I would say this is just a, a modest like for me, Amanda. So, but we're going to introduce something positive into the Hall of Fame to complement the work. What do you want to in induct? What's going in? <clears throat> Mine is pretty general, but um, which is fitting. Um, mm -hmm. It's Indeed. introducing some interesting ideas about the games themselves, um, but not games, the franchise. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> especially, I, I'm just gonna you know highlight introducing concepts. Mm. Um, uh, especially for me, the music analysis essay, although it like was not specific enough for me, that particular like the introduce the idea of like how music was important to the Zelda franchise and and like how it played an important part on like uh, how how we as gamers like interact with the game I just I thought that was such an interesting concept that I would I would love to read something else about that mm. but I, I had those reactions to several other um, ideas 
So I do like that I, I, I now am thinking a little bit more deeply on my own, I suppose, about the Zelda series. Yeah, definitely. I think, too, the, the word introduction, if you're just inducting the concept of introduction, I think it's worthy, actually. If, if, yeah. like an, if an AP psych teacher in high school had a chapter from this in their class, that, that would deserve praise. I'd be like, yes, perfect. Yeah. Pick something a little interesting, maybe a little unexpected. You can define a bunch of key terms for them. They can get an intro to a bunch of new ideas. Like, I think in that sense, it's sort of that is what is noteworthy about it. I'm going to induct just Joseph Campbell. He got his moment, Amanda, Hero's Journey. I think, like, <laughs> I, for as much play as he's gotten in the last maybe decade, I, I really do feel like there were a couple of TED Talks that just catapulted him back into the consciousness. And there's that screenwriter they quoted, too. I forget his name, but there's, like, a screenwriter who published a book about it. So the, Joseph Campbell's just having his moment. But I do think that, I mean, Young obviously is in here a lot, too. But I, I'd like to introduct or introduct, um, introduce and induct the just the use of Campbell. I think, finally... I can put it to rest. Like, I don't think I need to hear about his theories ever again in my life. I think, which is, again, I am legitimately complimenting it. Like, I think this book finally reviewed it all. I'm good. I get, I know all the steps roughly. Like, I get the basic outline. And I think that if you just were always wondering about this and you're, you'd heard Hero's Journey, but you weren't 100% certain, like, this is the book. Just read this. You'll finally get it. You'll be good. And so I, that's my induction. Yep. I think that's great. Close Definitely. the book. Yep. I, I feel pretty good about Campbell and, and his ideas. I'm I'm good. And I think too his own work where he first published this monomyth concept. I think it's super long. I think it's like 700 pages. So I don't have to go read Holy that. Holy crap! Yeah. <laughs> oh my. I think at one point I like looked up the ebook or something, and I just was just like, you know what? I think that TED talk was good enough. I don't. I'm not going to read that. That <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks, but I'm good. You know, I don't need to. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of it is him just analyzing every culture's myths. You know, that's as it turns out, that's an exhaustive uh, task to take upon yeah. yourself. So surprising. Yeah. All right. Any final <laughs> thoughts or you know broad ideas about the psychology of Zelda to discuss? Nope. Excellent. I think we did it all. We covered it all. What, what did we leave yeah. on the floor? Nothing. Let's um, <laughs> let's get out of this podcast then, Amanda. Thanks, as always, listeners, for sticking all the way through. We appreciate it. If you can leave reviews on whatever podcast platform you're on, that does help us a ton. So if you're on you know, Spotify, iTunes, Google, wherever you're at, it does help a lot to get those reviews. Also, we have other books coming up, so we hope you join us for those. Amanda will tell you about our, our next three books, at least briefly. Yeah. Next up, we have uh, Piranesi by Susanna Clark which is a novel. And then after that, we have 84 Charing Cross by Helen Honf, which is actually nonfiction. I did double check that. It's nonfiction and it's um, letters. Oh, okay. And then, yeah. And then uh, finally, we have The Intuitionist, and that's by Colson Whitehead, somebody we've read before and enjoyed. Yes, I am excited. I just picked that before we started recording. Uh, the Yeah, Colson Whitehead. I wanted to go back to an author we'd really liked, so... And that was a long time ago, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was it was before we were lightly literary. Oh yeah, it was Brothers Book Club. Gosh, before yeah. the rebrand. So I think actually that that's a perfect pick because it's time then. Because that's a long time ago. That's like we may as that well was. never have even done it. So yeah, excellent. Okay, yep. I'm glad I panic picked that minutes before we started. <laughs> <laughs> Good times. Okay. Um, thanks again, listeners. We appreciate you sticking all the way through. Thanks for checking in and, and listening. Hopefully, gave you some intriguing discussion to think about. And as always, until next time, we'll see you between the pages. 